Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum, here to break down Syracuse's week one loss at North Carolina, 31-6. to There were some bright spots, notably the defense for the first three quarters, and uh, there was the offense, which pretty much looked like the offense from last year, and uh, that's, that's not going to be enough to win games in the ACC. Uh, we're going to get into all of that. We got some reader questions before we do that. I need you all to go subscribe to us. We are on the Apple Store, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. Please subscribe. Give us a nice rating. Uh, we would greatly appreciate that. And, yeah, let's get it going. Uh, we finally saw the 3-3-5 after, you know, a whole offseason of hype and, you know, frankly, closed practices. I mean, this is the first time I've seen the guys in pads since the Wake Forest game. And I thought it went pretty well for the first three quarters that they wore down maybe a little bit at the end. And the younger linebackers maybe got pulled out of position a couple times at the end. You saw Michael Carter, North Carolina's running back, crack open a couple big runs. But, um, you know, just, just to jump in, you know, what were your kind of impressions, Julian? And, and what do you think allowed those guys to have a pretty good debut? Yeah, so it's important to remember that defenses are always ahead of offenses early on into like spring, uh, summer, and typically in the beginning parts of fall camp. Without any of those things, I think that's going to be the case for a number of teams for the first few weeks of the season, including Syracuse. So important to remember that defenses are always ahead of the offense. So they're typically uh, going to look much better. So knowing that, um, I still thought Syracuse's defense um, – was putting themselves in really good position to uh, help themselves win the game today. Uh, you think that 3-3-5 is set up in a way that would allow the run, right? You've got three down line. You think of that typical 3-3-5 stack where three guys in one spot, three guys, three linebackers, five defensive backs. But the way that it uh, was schemed this week to see uh, between six and seven guys in the box was really helpful to Syracuse early on in the game. Um, it forced uh, UNC to take, make some passes downfield that they didn't necessarily want to make. Um, they tried to challenge the man, man-on-man defense in the back end, and Syracuse's secondary held up. I thought they did a, I thought they did a great job on the back end um, in man-to-man coverage, which I think that they were using for a majority of the game, um, which is really a way of a defense saying, we're trying to help our front guys. We want them to make some plays, and we're putting our secondary in spot to say, hey, you guys have to hold it down for us. We're trying to make some plays up front. And I thought that was a really good idea for them just because um, all of those guys in the secondary are just so technically sound. Ify um, Melifon looked great today. Um, I thought that across the board, they, Syracuse's secondary played a great game. Uh, Neil Nunn coming in, uh, making plays. Uh, Kenyon Williams, uh, in his first start, I thought he did a great job making plays. So uh, the secondary did a really good job and allowed the front six guys to, to make some plays uh, up front and – I think this was just a, a matter of the team wearing down after, um, you know, three quarters, four quarters of you know, up and down the field and three and outs on the other side sure. from Syracuse's offense. Um, that gets tiring. Like I, I can specifically remember uh, a game where I played against uh, Florida State and <laughs> Dyshawn just killing people was saying, like, why are we – I didn't get a chance to get water. Like that, it gets frustrating after a while when – um, you are coming right out the field, your coach is in your ear, and then it feels like you're going right back out there without water, without really sitting down. So that's, especially with Syracuse's up-tempo offense, like that's 
that's got to be something that gets changed quickly because otherwise we're going to continue to see Syracuse uh, stay around in games, especially early in the season, stay around because of the defense, and then all of a sudden it just breaks out um, third or fourth quarter because the defense had no real time to rest and really didn't get a chance to make the adjustments they could have had the offense on the field longer. Yeah, I totally agree. And there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of issues to get into on the offense, and uh, I think we'll get there. I want to talk a little bit more about the defense first. Uh, you know, I think we knew the linebackers were the big question mark. There's a lot. Uh, the secondary is a secondary. They've got stars. Their young players look good, too. I thought Garrett Williams was pretty solid in the first half at corner. Definitely tackled well. I mean, gave up a couple catches, but all things considered played well. And then Neil Nunn uh, replaced him in the second half. Garrett was banged up a little bit. And he played great. He blew up a bubble screen. Or he knocked his receiver off him and, and made the tackle around the line of scrimmage. And he covered a uh, – I don't remember what route it was, but, but a, a t- basic potential touchdown pass in the corner and did a nice job yeah. of not, not getting flagged and, and closing off the angle. So yeah. Um, yeah. Garrett Williams, excuse me, I think I said something that I forget about. <laughs> it was just clear. Garrett Williams, yeah. Yeah. The, you know, those guys, all things considered, for like their first real game playing defense were good. I mean, teams are going to go after them. If you're playing man coverage and you've got a, a first-year starter out there, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's who you should be targeting. And if Adam Alfonso <laughs> made North Carolina realize that early on, basically yep. gift-wrapped an interception from Michael Jones. Um, but those guys are going to be good. To me, it's, it's those linebackers and how quickly can they come along, you know, when they got tired. I, I think they might have over-pursued on a couple plays and – um, yep. North Carolina's veteran running backs were smart about that. Cutting back, Michael Carter went against the grain for, I think his, he had a 45-yard run right at the end of the third quarter, and then they, they punched in the touchdown to start the fourth. Yep. Um, what did you see from the linebackers? And, uh, you know, everyone's kind of saying, Dino especially, like, this, this is natural, right? This is what happens yep. when you gain experience. It comes along. Uh, to, to me, I think as long as that happens and, and Syracuse avoids injury on defense, like, this unit could be pretty good. Yeah, I agree. So when it comes to linebackers, the number one development issue, or at least what they focus on in terms of development and coming along as a great player, is your eye discipline. Because you're really trying to see what's the the uh, first alignment assignment, knowing where to be, and then wondering, okay, where is this running back? What's this running back showing me? What's the quarterback doing? And based on what you're given, that determines how you're pursuing the ball. That determines how you're getting off the block. And in this game, I kind of saw some, A, I thought they were hesitant, uh, kind of reminded me of 2017. We were seeing linebackers kind of waiting a little bit to see yeah. first and, and then going. Uh, that was very uh, obvious today where guys were just kind of waiting a little bit longer than they should before triggering. And then at other times, it's triggering too much, overcommitting, like you mentioned, Stephen, and then running backs having the opportunity to either cut back or they're overcommitting and committing into a block and pushing themselves out of the play. So, again, these are development things where you're, you're coaching eye discipline. You're coaching these guys to say, okay, when you see this, go. And that's, that's all part of getting reps. It's all reps. And the thing for Syracuse right now is – I kind of noticed that they were also, um, also rotating guys, rotating a lot of yeah. guys. So, I think – and I think that – Again, I'm, I'm a person who hates rotations just because you're, you're cutting reps. And if you have someone that was hot at one moment and all of a sudden out of the game, they cool down, they, they're losing that momentum. And I, I just, as a player, I thought that was really frustrating. And then you can see it on the field when you rotate guys who are playing well and the whole sudden they're out, come back and not playing the same. So really hoping that eventually there's a, a set established group of guys who are 
going to keep playing, keep getting those reps and continue to develop. And you want to pick those guys sooner rather than later. But, um, you know, starting with, it just, it just seemed like young mistakes, overcommitting at times, trying to read it too long. Uh, but again, something that's going to come along um, as they understand the playbook, as they understand how offense are trying to attack them. And uh, like Coach Davis said, once you get to game four, five, six, they kind of get a feel for how the game's supposed to go. And by then, I think we'll see a comfortable linebacker group. Yeah, I think one of my big questions there is when is Tyrell Richards going to be back? You know, Dino said after the game that he's hurt. And that's that is the, basically the only reason why he didn't travel. He did not say mm-hmm. when Tyrell will be back. But, I mean, that's he, he has experience, right? And, and right. you know, maybe he's not a returning starter at inside linebacker, but I think he'd probably be a little bit more comfortable out there yep. uh, at middle linebacker than Jeff Kantanarku, who, who certainly didn't look terrible. But, like you said, <laughs> those, those, those small – when you're going up against a guy like Michael Carter and, and the skill yeah. position players of North Carolina, it really doesn't take much. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see what happens with Tyrell. And then uh, I think everyone saw what Steve Linton can do, number 17. He's listed as the second-team strong side linebacker, but he's, he's going to be on the field a lot. He's yeah. going to be a, a nightmare for quarterbacks. Um, he's definitely someone who went a little soon and did get caught in a couple of those blocks, like you yeah. said. As soon as you said that, I was like, all right, I remember seeing that. Sam Howell definitely – ran at least once when, when Steve was kind of in one of those positions. Um, and I don't have the full context, obviously, so maybe I'm wrong about that. But uh, I'm interested to see what the linebackers do, and I, I really do think if they stay healthy, they can be good. Now, that said, last year in the season opener, Syracuse shut out Liberty, and everyone was like, the defense is going to be great. And it didn't happen. So, you know, maybe, maybe we'll sound like idiots in a few weeks. But um, I am much more confident <laughs> that the offensive line is seriously going to prevent the offense from, from moving the ball consistently. And the one, one of the few things that was really working, Tommy DeVito running, uh, you're not going to have that up your sleeve against teams now. They didn't run Tommy much last year because he was hurt. And, you know, it's, it's not hard for an experienced defense like Pittsburgh's to – account for a running quarterback like Tommy and not leave him that space on the field and RPOs, you know? Um, so I don't know where they're going to turn. I mean, is, is, is there an easy answer there that I'm not seeing Julian, or is this just kind of the reality of Syracuse's offense? Um, at the moment, I'm, I'm a little stressed. Uh, just because <laughs> I, I, I can't I, I don't understand. I, I quite don't quite understand how they can uh, adjust to this because I don't see a fix to the offensive line right now. Sure, some healthy guys are getting in there, and I'm I'm hoping, hoping, hoping um, that that kind of helps solidify guys the, the the unit up front. But um, just watching the team, at least in the passing game, uh, a ton of air, or overthrows that uh, we saw that last year. Um, we saw miscommunication between quarterback and receiver on you know a number of different routes. We saw that last year, um, and. These are a lot of issues that I'm, I'm concerned are going to come back up again this year throughout the year. So uh, just thinking about the fixes, I, again, I, but I hate repeating myself too, is you're, you're <laughs> trying to get the ball out quicker because you, there's too much pressure or you're trying to get DeVito outside of the pocket. But I, I, I don't see these being realistic fixes because we said this, you know, for 12 weeks last year and they're, nothing changed. So it seems like we're going through the same pattern this season with the same issues. And I, I don't know if it's because they didn't get a chance to really address them. Uh, I don't know if they're, if it's really true that the, you know, guys just didn't get a chance to work together um, over the offseason, which I'm sure contributed to it. But um, 
we've, we've said these things before, Stephen. It, it's frustrating to see. And my, I don't know. I, I truly do not know what they can do to change this. And that's, that's a really bleak outlook. But it, we talked about this last year, and it's they're the same problems. Again. And then you have less running backs, too. You're, you're working oh, yeah. with – you know, your third and fourth string guy and putting up, I think it was 1.1 yards per carry. So, I mean, if you can't, if you're going for one, yard, that, that, this, is, this is another, this is another problem they had last year. Couldn't run the ball. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm concerned about this offense and uh, the, way, the way it's set up right now, because uh, it, it seems like at this point, structural changes would be needed to, uh, generate an offense at this point because we've seen what it looks like when the offensive line isn't there and there's no connection between quarterback and receiver. So uh, unless there, there's an actual schematic change in what they're trying to do, um, I, I don't see the offense looking very much different um, than it did a year ago. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, quite frankly. You know, getting Dakota Davis back would change things a bit. I think he's their best guard pretty clearly, probably their best interior lineman. And mm-hmm. – you know, we, we don't we don't know what his timetable is. Dino did confirm that that he's injured, and they expect him back at some point this year. Um, you know, when when that'll be is to kind of be seen. But yeah, with this current interior group, you're not getting any push in the run game, um, and you've got running backs who aren't creating something out of nothing, and and that's a lot to ask for. But th- th- it's just not there. I, I think they need to find ways to get the ball into their playmakers' hands. Um, Again, easier said than done when you don't have a run game that defenses are respecting. So it's not, you know, they tried to get Juar Jordan the ball in space. They tried to get Nikeem Johnson the ball in space, but they didn't do it. And, and it's what's especially frustrating, I think, for Syracuse fans is Nikeem Johnson looks really good. I mean, returning punts, uh, yeah. I think they got him a screen once or something. When he gets his legs moving, I mean, he yeah. looks quicker than he was last year. Um, I know he was dinged at some points last year. Taj Harris, too. Again, you know, he had the ball in his hand. He broke a bunch of tackles. Uh, and that's yep. something that we've we've seen him do before. He had a, a great touchdown reception last year where he ran through three or four tackles. So I think they've they got the guys it. on the outside. It's just yep. how do you get them – involved and i don't know i mean I, I think the wide receivers need to play better as well right i mean sherrod johnson has to catch that corner route they got him matched up in the slot on a smaller player he got the outside release tommy put the ball on his shoulder and it just went through his hands and when your offensive line is this bad like you can't waste those opportunities and and you know other receivers probably made mistakes too so it's not like this is just Sherrod but you need to be super efficient in the passing game and when Dino himself is saying they're not going to be very efficient in the passing game because they're rusty I don't know where you turn to to say hey this is why this is going to work and if your answer was because you know we're going to run Tommy DeVito and, and force for another force another defender to account for him well now other teams know you're doing that and I don't know how well it's going to go for you and if Tommy DeVito gets hurt this this somehow gets even worse, right? I, yeah. Again, the, the people who are kind of waiting from last year to jump out and say, oh, why don't they play someone else? Uh, everything I've seen and heard about Rex Culpepper and all the respect to Rex is an incredible person. Um, he's not a better quarterback than Tommy DeVito. And, you know, he went in, underthrew a receiver and threw an interception in garbage time. You know, that's not a fair indicator for, for anybody to be thrown into that situation. But, you know, it's it's not a – it's not like there's a better option there. 
And I, like I said, I don't know where they turn to. Maybe with a, a larger sample size, we get two or three games. We learn a little bit more, and and there's there's some stuff that's clicking that we just don't see right now. But it felt like last year. It just felt like a continuation of last year. And once when those drives keep going three and out again and again and again, and you first and ten run up the middle stuffed, you know, it's a little bubble screen on second second and ten three yards, and suddenly you know, an offensive lineman's being driven back into the quarterback again and the TV pans to Tommy talking with the offensive coordinator on the sideline and then the defense yep. is on the field, like you said, just like that. Um, that's Yeah, I mean, there, there was one thing I noticed, um, especially early on in the game, is motion, which I think we touched on a little bit last year, which I think was lacking from the offense, but was uh, uh, I saw that a few times uh, during during this game, which – is it typically part of Syracuse's offense to, you know, hustle the line, you know, snap the ball, get going? But I thought that this was a great addition to the offense, uh, using motion just to help the quarterback out some. Yeah. Um, slowing the, it slows the pace down, sure, but I think it's a much more efficient way to run your offense because it's helping your quarterback identify what kind of coverage is, you know, behind that defensive line. It's also giving your running backs a chance to see, okay, this is what the linebackers give me. This is how they're lining up. Uh, it gives you a better chance to understand your uh, offensive blocking scheme. So um, it, it's, it's just something that's been proven to be a value to an offense via the NFL and what we've seen them do. Um, both, both teams uh, from last year, we've, um, 49ers were a big proponent of uh, motion. Uh, we see it with the the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, it's it's and these are two of the you know some of the best offenses in the NFL um, where it's very prevalent. So I'm I'm happy to see uh, Syracuse's offense take a little bit of that um, and implement it into theirs because they have to find ways to make this offense more efficient. If you've got an offensive line who can't seem to get a push up front uh, quite yet or protect their quarterback very well. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and to Sterling Gilbert's credit, it was one game. Um, it was his first time working with this personnel after a truncated offseason and, and all the caveats that come with this year. So, you know, he deserves a chance to show what he's done. But, you know, t today was not good. Uh, all right, let's go to questions. Um, Daryl Albert, I know the offensive line is not in good shape, uh, but is it me or is DeVito just – does, just, does DeVito just seem like he hasn't been comfortable since becoming the starter? Should there be concern? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's super comfortable. Um, he was sacked 44 times last year, and I believe seven times today. So I, I think anyone would be uncomfortable to some extent. It's really hard. You know, I spent a lot of time thinking about, like, the human aspect of this. I can't put myself in that position where, like, you get hit again and again, and you're a, you try and stay focused on everything. And I don't think – like, I think he had happy feet, like, late last year. It didn't strike me like that this time. He just wasn't, like you said, getting the ball out quickly. And I covered the game from home today. I can't see what's going on outside of the screen. Like, I don't know if the receivers are just totally covered across the board. And when you, North Carolina is rushing four against a six-man, six- or seven-man protection, the numbers, the numbers game is working against you. So that makes it really hard to assess um, – his specific decision-making play to play. And even Dino said after the game, it's like, it's impossible for someone asked him that question. It's like, it's impossible for me to do that. I need to go back and watch the tape. Now he actually has access to the tape to, to get the answer. But so I would say, no, I, and he didn't look comfortable to me, but I, I understand why he's not comfortable and I'm willing to give those guys a couple more games before 
completely jumping on them and, you know, saying they need to blow this thing up because they kind of tried to do that this offseason, bringing in a new offensive coordinator. Um, yeah, I mean, that, th- those are those are kind of my thoughts there, but I, I understand why a fan would be frustrated connecting what they saw last year to what they saw today. Right on topic, all orange, why can't we have nice things? Just be happy there's football. Just be happy yeah. there's football. Uh, Trey Williams, father of Trill Williams, they literally avoided Trill the whole game. What do we do to get him more involved? He had no targets. Do we just put him on the main receiver if that's the case? <laughs> uh, Trey, listen, your son is very good. He's going to go to the NFL. <laughs> it's okay if he doesn't get targets. No, uh, but seriously um, – you know, there, there's a number of ways to get him more involved. Um, and from what I saw, he wasn't uh, really working on the outside very much, was he? Um, no, he's playing he free safety a, mostly. Yeah, he seemed to be a safety uh, operating, uh, coming down in the box. So um, if this is the case, I mean, it, it seems like the emphasis of the secondary right now is, you know, manning guys up on the outside. And then if you know that this is, you've got a, a top talent, uh, in man coverage, typically, if you're a quarterback of any salt, you're going to avoid them. Like, you, you, you don't want to go that way. You don't want to take the risk, especially in man coverage. So, I'd be interested to see, like, the, the wide tape to see how well he covered in yeah. off man and, and what that looked like, how well he stuck to his receivers. But until CXU starts to operate with uh, more zone coverage on the back end and, you know, playing around with the schemes that they have, it's 3 3 5, um, I would continue to expect more of the same with, uh, with Trill. Just because it's clear he's a good player. He's done a fantastic job in his first couple of seasons. And um, if I was a quarterback or an offensive coordinator, I'm going to avoid the guy too. He's a great player, and I'd be proud of him. As long as he's knocking, that's a great thing. You can have a game with zero targets. That's probably one of the most respectable stats you can get as a defensive back. Yeah, I mean, other than that, or maybe see if you can get him to change numbers with the uh, whoever the first-year <laughs> starting corner is over there. Maybe you can get someone to throw to him. I don't know. But I don't, I don't blame him for staying away from Trill. And, uh, you know, I don't blame him for staying away from Iffy or Andre either. I, I think, I think Trill's going to get opportunities as the season goes on. Um, but I, I'm going to have to go back and watch the game again, again, to really see where he was in all of the plays. It was very different for me to cover a game from home. It, you just don't see the same things you do from the press box where you get, get the wide field view. Um, Nathaniel Schwartz, how many of the roughly three to four injured offensive lines are actually expected to be back this season? Uh, Dakota is expected to be back as far as I know. Which other guys? I don't know. Um, Anthony Red and Will Frommy are are in that group. I haven't heard anything about them coming back anytime soon. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head if there's anyone else in that group who's out. I mean, Chris Bleichhead is – Waiver denied by the NCAA. I'm, I'm unsure if he's going to appeal it. He is seemingly injured as well, and I think he was someone who they would have expected back midseason. Um, but that's that's kind of the situation there. I think they got the starting lineup, and then Pat Davis is probably your sixth lineman. Maybe they would go to Mark Petrie at tackle. If it's a tackle who goes down, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, and I don't know what they're going to do if Carlos Vettorello gets hurt, if they would move service back to center or if they would put a guard at center, I think that would be a pretty bad situation, and I'm not sure how they would handle it. Uh, and then one more from Nathaniel. Where was Ed Hendricks today? I, I think he got in the game a little bit, 
But Dino went with Anthony Queeley. You know, they went with him as the other outside receiver for at least the majority of the snaps. Again, I don't have snap counts, so it's possible I missed something. Also, Sherrod is 19 and Hendricks is 18, so it's easy to maybe just see one or the other on, like, the far end of a play. So I don't know how much run Ed got, but I do know they don't like to rotate their receivers super deep. I mean, Dino likes to – put his guys on the field and to let them work. And that's why you didn't see Anthony Queeley at all the last two years, because he was behind outside receivers who the coaching staff liked better than him. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Ed at some point this season, he's super talented and a deep threat. And I, I, I don't know if he would have necessarily fared better today, but I do know he had a good camp and he's someone who is not far off from being a starter. I mean, Queeley beat him out in a, in a pretty close contest. Michael Kelly, would using the tight ends in the passing game help the run game because at the very least it makes the linebackers and safeties have to think about coverage? Uh, what do you think about that, Julian? Um, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, sometimes. I mean, it, it's, it's um, really based on what or how often uh, you're using your tight end to make a uh, safety or a linebacker or a defensive coordinator really continue to think about them. And – Thinking back on Syracuse's offense these last four or five years, they really haven't used tight ends very much. Dino um, doesn't. He really does not yeah, use tight ends very often. Yeah, it, it just doesn't seem like a, a, a tight end friendly offense until you get into uh, maybe the red zone or goal line situations where they, they tend to you know give them some opportunities. But it just doesn't seem like a tight end offense, and I don't anticipate them changing. Uh, until, you know, proven otherwise, it just doesn't seem like an offense that really emphasizes the tight end um, as, as a receiver. So coordinators and uh, safeties and linebackers are going to look at them, understand where they are, understand where they are in the field. And if they aren't in the position where tight ends are typically getting targets, you're not going to uh, respect them as receivers or uh, worry about them as receivers. So, um, until Syracuse starts to use them more, which I don't anticipate them doing, um, it, it's it's really something where linebackers and uh, safeties are going to continue to play the box the way they have. Does it open up things on the inside? Does it open up things for the run? Um, it can. Um, but again, it, it you see that more often when tight ends really changing games, when they're truly impact players. You've got tight ends that can move to the outside and be used as a receiver. Tight ends who uh, have been able to shift into the back backfield and been used in some kind of option, uh, some sort of use of the option. Like th- these guys have to be very versatile. That- that's when you really see uh, tight ends change games and impact the way that defenses are playing them and open up uh, different things for the offense. But I don't think Sacred has that kind of playmaker right now. Um, at the tight end position, or at least, or at least they have not given the guys on the roster a chance to show that. So um, for now, yes, it could be used to tight end could help uh, your offense, but it's just not something that they do. Yeah, I feel like every year they get like a tight end commit or two commits, and they're mm-hmm. all pitched on how they're going to add this element to the offense, and yeah, then they and just then... come in and do the same stuff. So. Yep. Uh, I get it. I also get why why any fan might say, hey, like, why are we not using our tight ends? Because but from everything I've seen, Aaron Hackett is an excellent tight end. Super versatile. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's going to go out and destroy guys when you split them out, but he might have the best hands of any of your receivers on the team, and he was not targeted significantly today. I, I don't have the stats up in front of me. I know they, they tried to hit him on an out once. He was totally blanketed. 
Mm-hmm. There was really nothing he could do about that. And yeah. and Luke Benson, if you're talking about a guy who you might want to split out and use their speed, he's got it. I mean, he's he's really fast. He ran the hundred in high school. I don't have the times up in front of me, but I mean, he was he was really quick. He was running, I believe, against Courtney Jackson, Syracuse's slot receiver, in like Pennsylvania state track meets. So maybe dial up a screen or two for him. I don't know. Again, you talk about speed offsetting some of that pressure. He's another mm-hmm. candidate to uh, to target in that area. But at the same time, if you know one of your offensive linemen needs help picking up their every yep. down assignment, You're tight ends usually going to get that chip, you know. So it's it's a tricky spot to be in. It is, and, and I feel for Aaron and Luke because I think both of those guys worked hard this offseason and wanted to be – you know, more highly used as receivers. And I mean, frankly, they weren't today. So, you know, again, it's still only one game. So I, I try not to make sweeping judgments, but those, you know, those guys can't are capable of doing more than they were used to do, but at what cost, if you send them out, um, Matt story, what style of player, the backup quarterbacks? Um, I would say, you know, Rex is probably more of a pocket guy who can run. And then mm-hmm. they traveled two true freshman quarterbacks today Dylan Markowitz and Jacoby and Morgan. I think they probably fall in a similar category, like pocket guys who are capable of moving. Like if you wanted to run RPO with them, you could, but they're probably going to slide at the second level. Um, no other quarterback should be playing this year. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like, I'm glad that you want to know about this and like, I get it. I mean, in a normal year, right, any camp I go to, I'm going to write about the freshman quarterbacks, just what do they look like? What do they do? They're, even if you're not playing this year, people want to know what the quarterback room is like because in two years, someone else is going to be potentially playing quarterback unless Tommy uses the extra year and, I don't, I don't know, some kind of craziness <laughs> happens. It's possible, I guess. But I get it. Like, there's always intrigue around your quarterback room, and I really – I haven't gotten to see either of them do anything because they came here in the summer and – fall camp was closed so my understanding is yeah both of those guys are pocket guys who have some mobility but but neither are run first neither are someone who you could say hey they add a different element to our offense and we're going to use them as anything other than the emergency quarterback um but i don't blame you for for looking for answers anywhere right now so uh so you're coming from matt uh jay kresg Defensive line look good. What can you say about the new linebackers? Um, you know, we kind of already touched on them, but I thought they looked good. You mentioned the point that they were rotating them a little bit, and that mm-hmm. is kind of kind of tricky, right? Because you want them to get as many reps as possible, but at the same time, if you don't know exactly who you want in there, yeah, it, that's that's yeah. the risk you run with it, right? I mean, you're forcing a competition, so it's an open competition, and and inside of that linebacker room that's what they're saying to those guys we're going to start these these cats here but the reality is whoever goes out there and plays the best is going to get that start next week and that you're forcing competition where essentially you're using these first couple of games as you know scrimmages really and seeing dino called them preseason games the first three games on his radio show thursday night see exactly so these are games to get to figure out okay who is really going to be able to play for us uh down the stretch because they did not have any sort of preseason, whether that be spring or the summer. And they're really trying to see, okay, who's ready, who's in shape, who can stay on the field um, and keep being productive. So 
it, it seems to me that this while the rotations hurt in terms of uh, developing and getting reps and improving it, it, it at this point we're in a spot where it's like who who are our best guys who's going to stay out there who's going to keep making plays who's the most consistent so those are what we're uh, really looking for out of this linebacker group so far and uh, one game in it's hard to you know show that but I, I guess after two three games you, you know who your guys are and after that I expect them to be you know the, the three guys who maintain all the reps yeah I, I do think it's clear that Michael Jones is going to be one of those guys um, yes Jeff Cantonarku I believe got most of the snaps at Mike and then Lee Lee Koba came on for some reps. I don't know if he was at Mike or if Michael switched in, but I know they like Lee. So I would guess Lee and Jeff Kantanarku are still kind of competing. And then the strong side, they like Stefan Thompson and Steven Linton a lot. They're both very different players. I mean, Steve yeah. Linton is, is a guy who I think you're going to see out regularly in passing situations. And um, we'll see who they kind of settle on for, for the early down guy. Um, I personally, I like the rotation on the defensive line. They actively rotated those guys today. I want to say five, six, maybe even seven guys played and they're going to need to do that. We've seen what's happened when defensive linemen get ground down in this system and don't make it to the end of the year. They cannot afford to lose McKinley Williams or even losing Josh Black or Kingsley Jonathan would be, would be really tough. And, uh, you know, so I, I think there's a difference there. I like them rotating on the defensive line, but I see the detriment at linebacker without having those experienced guys because you're rotating at linebacker. It's not to keep guys fresh right now. It's because you don't know who your best players are. There's a hierarchy on the defensive line, and because of that, you can create a rotation that you know who's going to be out there together, right? It's, it's, it's not – I feel like it's more settled. Um, yeah, it, it's a much different kind of rotation when you've got the guys you know or your starters. Where right. on, in the LB group, you may be rotating, give them each a set amount of reps, like here's three, here's three, here's three. Uh, those guys, you're saying, okay, let me give him um, the first series or we'll see how many how many plays. we Let's get ten plays. All right, two plays, come back out. You know, So sure. it's a much more established uh, rotation where you're getting more consistency out of those defensive linemen. And, and rotations on the defensive line are much more common than in the linebacker group or your secondary. Yeah. One more from Jay. Where are the problems on the offensive line? Honestly, I need to go back and rewatch the game for, for pass pro stuff. I can tell you that uh, the, the center and the guards did not get a great push in the run game. Um, I'm not saying the tackles gotten a better one, but I mean, there was just nothing going in the middle of that line on run plays. Um, did, did you pick up significantly more than that, Julian, or? No, not at all. Um, it seemed to be one, obviously there was no push up front in the run game. 1.1 yards per carry tells you that. And then two, um, it seemed to be that they were um, stressed by different stunts and different things or blitz schemes that uh, were thrown at them as well. Like there, there seemed to be a couple of instances where guys can just come free or um, they would let the guy go and can't do that on the offensive line. So um, it, it just seems to be like that, that they're still learning how to be all, how to be a unit, how to trust the guy next to him, how to communicate. Because from what I, again, I was a corner. I'm the farthest guy away from the offensive line. So it's not my expertise, but from the offensive lineman I've been around, I lived with three. Uh, the biggest thing that they always talked about was having a set group of guys who 
grow up together and understand the tech, how they want to do things as a unit and knowing what the guy next to you is going to call or understanding what the next guy is doing, what the next guy next to you is doing uh, because that helps them become a better unit. So it, it seems like they're all a bunch of different individuals right now. It's not an offensive line unit. You got one guy doing this thing, one guy doing another and making calls. So um, my thing is I think they still need to grow together and understand who those first five guys are and with the injuries that they have right now. Uh, I think that makes it difficult for them. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll add this. The running backs call out the protections and the checks before the snap. So when you got new running backs in there, you know, we don't know if they might miss something or maybe they say a call wrong or, you know what I mean? Maybe there's a, there's a break in the, in the communication chain. It makes it hard to kind of pass judgment just off one watch without knowing some of those details, but for, you know, for sure that they're, they're, they need to get on the same page and that group as a whole. Um, going through, Doc Fernald, you guys called it the other day with a vanilla offensive scheme, but why can't we use the tight ends a little bit more? We we did kind of talk about the pros and cons of that already, so we'll keep moving. Kyle Fussner, my old roommate, I miss you, buddy. Uh, what's your message to the DeVito haters? I, I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> there, there's well, not, there's not a better option. There's not a better option. So – I guess if you don't think that Tommy DeVito is a good quarterback, then you should be upset that Dino Babers has not been able to bring in a good enough quarterback to run his offense because Rex Culpepper is not the answer to the problem. Um, I mean, I think it's fair to criticize Tommy for, for, for some of this, right? I mean, mm-hmm. some of the decision-making, some of the speed, and, and, and you know, all, all those things. Last year was brutal for anybody. He was playing through multiple injuries behind maybe the worst offensive line in the power five. And now he's back healthy now, but still playing behind a bad offensive line and having a touchdown dropped and, you know, all, all the kind of issues that, that have come his way. And yeah, I, I think it's fair to criticize him some. I, we all have different opinions on, on where the blame falls, but it's, it's not, you know what I mean? Like they, they, if you don't think he's good enough, then you should be upset that Dino Babers and his staff haven't been able to bring in a quarterback that is good enough to succeed in this offense. But they did come out in full force today. I just go back through my mentions. They they really – people were waiting to jump on Tommy. And, uh, you know. No, it's the quarterback. So. It is. It is. But I will say this. You know, when you win, the quarterback does get all the credit. So, exactly. You know, exactly. Maybe, maybe he'll get to experience some of that at some point. Uh, Kyle, I thought that our pass rush was decent and the secondary played very well, but ultimately it was the run defense that finished us off, similar to last season. Do you put it more on the talent of the defensive players or the scheme that allows strong rushers to run all over us? Um, I mean, I think we kind of talked about it. It's, I think it's just the inexperience. I don't mm-hmm. think it's a product of the scheme and – you know, I, I, I partially it's a credit to who you're going up against. Of course, I mean North Carolina's backs are really good, some of the best in the ACC. Uh, it's just I just think it's natural. I think everyone knew this was coming. Dino basically said they were going to have some issues here, and after the game, he said he thinks they're going to have a good defense in weeks three and four. So, I mean, I just don't know that there was really any way they could have avoided something like this, except maybe not going three and out four drives in a row at the end of the third quarter. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember that uh, because that because we're coming into a season with very little training coming in, uh, this is going to be a matter of talent versus talent early on in the season because your your defenses are going to be like we said very vanilla. You're not putting in a ton of different coverages. You're not putting in 
all of your best blitz packages. You're really just lining those guys up and making sure that they know how to line up correctly. Um, and as an offense, you're not putting in your most complex plays. You're not putting in – and as a defense, you're not putting your best checks in either. So um, you're kind of just lining up and playing and making sure that you're aligned. And uh, from what we saw in this game, that's very encouraging that with, you know, the skeleton of this defense and they were able to hold up uh, for a majority of this game, run or pass, things leaked through at the end. But I, th I think that was more uh, a product of uh, this defense and understanding how to line up and where to be and then eventually getting tired versus not being able to play. I think that they have a lot of talent up front. Um, really like McKinley Williams, Josh Black, and those guys. Um, and then as a secondary, once those blitz packages get added in, uh, I think that kind of utilizes Cisco, Trill, and uh, those strong those safeties that they can use to, to help out those linebackers as well. So I think as the season progresses, we're going to see a really healthy defense. It's just a matter of giving them time to develop and understand where it's supposed to be. Because you got guys out there playing fast. They're playing fast. Uh, it's just a matter of put, putting themselves in position uh, to make a play. Yeah. I hear you on that. Um, pretty much covers everything else that was asked. There's a, another question kind of about just the thoughts on the young talent, specifically on defense. Mm -hmm. We talked about the linebackers already. I, I, I think the young guys in the secondary look good, and we really didn't see that many young guys up front. Um, yeah. Cody Roscoe, the McNeese State transfer, was, got on the field a lot as a backup DN. Caleb Okachuku looked good. I saw they dropped him into coverage once, which was kind of a neat look. Curtis Harper's the backup nose tackle. We kind of already knew that. So there really aren't any young guys up front. Um, well, the one guy who would kind of be in the mix, Drew Tuizama, was the one who was called for the blindside block on the punt return for touchdown. So, and can I that, just say that's that painful? That is just painful yeah. to watch them call that. Because it's like, dang, kid, you can't get to play the same football that everyone else did. <laughs> But um, yeah, two, two that, or three those, years ago, that wasn't a penalty. They changed the rule. No, not ago. at all. And that, that yeah. changes games. Like uh, you, you put kids in to play football. I, you know, I won't go on a huge rant about it, but you know, you, you put kids in to play football. Like that's at some point you got to recognize that we're ruining the game by putting in some, cause that's a clean hit. And you know, the kicker got up. He was fine. He, he knew where he was. You know, these, these things, I, I worry about how many rule changes we're making. Uh, because that was a big moment for Syracuse. And you don't know how the outcome of the game changes having those points on the board. Because Syracuse ended up not uh, scoring, I think, after that drive. Yeah. So, um, you know, these things change games. And you, but you had to be cognizant of it. That's the hard part is you don't know, like, did they change did, – did the staff change the way they're teaching that? Because it used to be if you get inside the shoulder, like if you hit them in the front, it's not an illegal hit in the back. But now it's – you need to basically be in their, like, line of vision – like, and you basically, it can't be a blindside, you didn't see it coming block, block with forcible contact, even if it yep. is in front of the shoulder. So by the book, I believe it was the right call. But if you've been coaching football for 30 years and you've been teaching something a certain way, well, yeah, you used to be able to do that and you can't anymore. And I understand the criticism of that, but mm -hmm. it's tough to see because I really don't think that punter is tackling Nakeem Johnson in the open field. No, he's not. So that's the thing is you're coaching your guys at that. Because we didn't have the rule when I was playing, but we had right. a similar where you didn't want the targeting. And I can remember Coach Bullo always saying, like, you have to make a decision. Like, can this guy really make a play on the ball? And that's where you're, just, you're forcing more player awareness. And that's what I'm sure when they got him so silent, that's what they're coaching. Like, hey, you got to know he's not making that tackle, man. Just get him. You don't have to go blow him up. You can't do that anymore. 
just get in front of him so that he's almost assuredly not making a play. But if you can recognize where he is versus the ball and who you're going after, just wall him off. You don't need to blow the guy up. And I think that's a coaching point uh, going forward with this because you don't want those kind of penalties. But, you know, it, it's, it is frustrating to watch. Yeah, for sure. Easier said than done. I mean, obviously, Drew is just trying to make a play. Um, and, yeah, it's tricky and un- certainly unfortunate for Syracuse. But, yeah, I, th- I think that's all we got for this week. Appreciate you all listening. Hopefully, this one week wasn't enough to scare you off and you come back for us for the, the pit pregame show. I do think Syracuse's defense is going to be good. And, you know, like, like we said, um, you know, a few days ago, if, even if you can just survive the first two weeks 0-2, there are winnable games coming up. If you can get all your players there healthy, you know, you can beat Georgia Tech and Liberty and get to your bye. You know, there's, there's still reason to believe that, that Syracuse can, can have a pretty good season, but definitely a tough pill to swallow in week one. Um, all right. So for Julian Wiggum and I, thank you for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to us on the Apple Store, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, please leave us a review, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank <laughs> you.